Hi everyone, and welcome to Queer Reflections, the podcast where we discuss queer representation in our visual media, past, present, and future. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and support this podcast. To find out more and follow along, see at Queer Reflections on Instagram. If you like what you hear, please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 4 of Queer Reflections season 2. Today I am joined by Daniel. Daniel identifies as non-binary and queer and is currently based in Berlin, Germany. They respond to all pronouns and we met early on in this process where Daniel was kind enough to support me in the early days of this podcast. I really struggled to edit this one down as we spoke for a long time about Star Trek, Disney, the porn industry and beyond. So I hope you enjoy and please feel free to rate us on your podcast provider and leave us a review where possible. Make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast on your podcast provider to make sure that you receive the episodes when they are released. And if you're interested in getting involved in the podcast, please reach out via the Instagram. All information can be found in the show notes. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. So I'll see you in a second. So hi, Daniel. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How has your day been? Oh, just the regular work. And oh, I did get my hair cut and uh, put some fresh color on for the occasion, Lovely. but that's about it. So just so I get it right, your pronouns are any pronouns? Uh, yes, I do respond to any pronouns in my everyday life. It's usually he, him uh, pronouns and sometimes they, them pronouns, but I'm I'm all of those. Okay. So how, how do you identify then? Is it non-binary? Yes, I do uh, identify as non-binary and queer, uh, specifically yeah. not uh, homosexual, because I think that's a, a very gender limited term. Not that it doesn't have its applications, but it does imply a gender binary that mm. I don't feel I'm part of. So it's specifically uh, non-binary and queer. Perfect. And, and has that always been the case or is it something that's kind of evolved as you've gone along? Or Well, th- those terms did not exist when I first started noticing that I was different. Mm. So I, for the majority of my life, I would have identified as a homosexual male uh, just because that was what was available uh, yeah. to me. Um, and it's only been over, well, actually with COVID and with a lot of things moving into an online space, which encourages certain things, it has changed for me finding something that I f- think is a better fit to mm what I actually am than just homosexual male. Yeah, and I think I think that's really interesting because we definitely in, in our country had a rise of people who were kind of playing with gender and unpicking gender through being at home and not being kind of forced to perform, do you know what I mean, their assigned gender at birth. So that's that's quite interesting that COVID allowed for that space away from kind of mainstream and day-to-day in, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It just, it forced a lot of people into uh, introspection. And with, you know, that's not saying that this pandemic was in any way great for anyone. Yeah. But it did have effects that people, you know, learned to use. And it is the introspection and a certain freedom from 
you know, going out and mm. experiencing pressures in the workplace, for example, uh, I have not worn pants, like actual pants for work <laughs> since 2019. And I'm here for it. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. Uh, just just to confirm, pants means underwear in the UK. Oh, yes, of course. Trousers, trousers. I have <laughs> not well, do sweat is Are there sweat trousers then as well? Or are those sweatpants? Um, I think they're sweatpants, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, have, I have been wearing a lot of sweatpants. And um, so where are you based right now, Daniel? I live in Berlin. I have been living here for just over 10 years, I think. Okay, and where were you born then? I was raised in Hanover, which is, uh, you know, something that British people know because, you know, of the dynasty. Not a lot of other people outside of Germany know Hanover, um, but that's uh, basically where my formative years uh, were spent. And then I lived in a small town in southern Germany for university for a few years. I lived in Asia for a few years in uh, really? Indonesia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and now I've been in Berlin for like 10 years. And how do you find Berlin? I love it. Uh, I did come here for an opportunity, not because of the city, which is, mm -hmm. uh, I think, an important uh, distinction. Most people uh, come to Berlin to live in Berlin. Uh, and those are the ones that usually end up disappointed. I just had an opportunity here. Um, I moved here. I met people uh, fairly uh, quickly. And yeah, I've been uh, here ever since. And it's a great, it's a great uh, city. Not that bad things don't happen here but in general it's a very diverse and very accepting uh place with a lot of hideous dirty drag such as oh there's one there's wonderful people here i mean everyone not that she's hideous uh, or dirty quite the contrary but everyone knows hungry she did bjork's makeup she was on trixie mattel's uh, mm -hmm. uh channel yeah uh, a few weeks ago um she's a true berlin icon and then we have this uh, american queen here who uh, can be a little uh, controversial so i'm not sure if i uh should mention her name she's an old berlin uh, staple uh mother of a house in a very popular fetish karaoke bar okay all those kinds of things no and I, and I think that's i keep saying things about how pride well people keep thinking about how pride should be family friendly and i think that it we should also celebrate those bits that aren't family friendly so what what do you think about that well, it's, that, is, that is very true. However, Berlin may not be the best example for that because the definition of family-friendly is very different in Germany. <laughs> and especially in uh, Berlin, public nudity is not as much uh, of, a, of an issue uh, here than it is in other countries. I mean, Scandinavia and the Netherlands, they're sort of we Germanic people are sort of like that and on, on every pride. And we do have a, um, a Folsom in Berlin, mm, okay. which is not obviously not as big as San Francisco. Um, but it is as kinky i do hope so yeah there's that's in the middle of a um of a residential area so here in berlin family friendly extends a lot further uh, than in uh, other places but yes absolutely i think there have to be spaces but i also think a space that is family friendly and queer and in a even child friendly in mm. a way um that can be uh, also a very important thing to have it doesn't necessarily have uh, to be pride but queer and family uh, are two words that go together very well uh, if we just do it right. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you. Um, I visited Berlin once for Berlin Film Festival when I was a film student. I loved it. And I felt very, I felt the openness of Berlin. And I think that's kind of always stuck with me. I think it's my, my favorite city that in Europe that I've visited because it felt very historical, but also very modern and forward thinking. And yeah, it just ticks every box for me. 
but yeah, I don't know what it would be like to live in, but I think it is. Well, you is, wouldn't necessarily have to learn German. I hope that's uh, <laughs> I hope uh, that's good news. But I know a lot of people here um, who've lived here for years and uh, have acquired very little German, which you no, know, you don't you don't need much German in Berlin. Everyone here speaks English, and people get by in a way. Yeah, I I think I really liked the. I mean, I really liked the festival. I thought it was just a really nice vibe. So yeah, I would definitely like to go back. I'd like to take Luke, show him the city. Yeah. Well, summer is coming up and summer is, to be perfectly honest, the only time anyone should visit Berlin because all How other cool. seasons are hideous. <laughs> it's just uh, gray and dirty and way too cold here for like nine months of the year. So June, July, August, maybe September, you can visit Berlin. Otherwise, you can just as well stay in the United Kingdom because weather, <laughs> I think, is the same. I think it's pretty much the same. I, I like. I don't think our weather is doing much. Even right now, it's cold, and I thought it was getting warmer. So yeah, it pretty much sucks at the moment. So in terms of your sexuality, uh, gender identity, do you think the media helped you on that path to kind of understanding yourself? Well, it's pretty hard to tell if the media helped me or not because there's no way to assess the situation without the media present. The media was mm. always there. So I think yeah. the better way to put it would be in, in what way did it shape uh, my way? Because there's yeah. no question, there's no question that it, that it did. It may have helped. It may have been detrimental in some uh, instances, um, which is the first memory that I have, which was very detrimental of uh, queerness in, in yeah. a way. In media. So, so let's think of that though. So what was the first representation you remember seeing and what was the effects for you? So the first one, picture it, Germany, 1991, I think. Okay. I, I, lo I looked it up earlier because I, I, that I knew that was going to be an important reference. As a, a queer filmmaker yourself, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Rosa von Braunheim. No, you're not. A German uh, born but American no. uh, filmmaker. He's been around since, I don't know, the early 70s. I mean, be just way before my time. Um, and he made a lot of very scandalous, uh, very okay. gay, uh, almost pornographic uh, movies. No, I definitely do not know. So, Well, that's uh, someone uh, you may want to check out. It's just yeah. sort of John Waters, but German. Okay. Not as fun. More like self- Hardcore. Yeah, hard, hardcore, you know, depending on what era. I think it, most of his work would have been um, considered hardcore uh, at the time. But it was more more of an of a challenge to society, and it was not as much you know just for fun. Just you know, mm -hmm. maybe John Waters wasn't the best reference. Um, so Rosa von Braunheim is someone that people knew in Germany as a filmmaker because he is uh, essentially well, he is German. Yeah, I believe his pronouns are he, even though he goes by a female name. Okay. And Rosa von Braunheim uh, was on a German TV talk show, someone that was aired later at night and. The, the existence of this show in and of itself uh, was horrible because a, a question that was put to um, a panel of people in the show was essentially should um, gay be allowed on television? Is that okay. something that we should have on television um, yeah. or is that in some way uh, harmful? There was an open discussion about it, but, you know, just the question being present uh, implies yeah. something very horrible. Yeah. And Rosa von, Bra uh, von Braunheim was the only queer person uh, invited. And it was sort of the concept of the show. It was sort of one advocate for something mm. and then a panel of other people sort of pestering them with questions. Yeah. So that is a very early memory uh, of me. It would have been in my early teens. Um, mm. So old enough to understand what's going on, but 
not old enough to put it in context. And um, what shocked me about it um, and that held me back in a lot of ways was that uh, Rosa von Braunheim, as one of his arguments, used that, uh, well, you know, it's it's really not that uh, bad. There's a lot of people that you already know and love who are gay, and he named names. So he essentially outed two very popular German uh, TV uh, personalities mm -hmm. that were famous at that time and at the height of their career, who nobody, you know, you hadn't been outed. I can't speak for the rest of the country, and, and I was young, so maybe people had... Um, Maybe there were rumors, I don't know. But that was a public outing. And that just was so terrifying that I was just at a, at a point where I had realized that they are, in a way, talking about me over there. And then, you know, how yeah. shocking this whole scenario was. So um, that just taught me that my existence was in some way scandalous and up for debate and that it could be used as a weapon or yeah. against me. So that was the earliest thing that was on German uh, television uh, for me, an early interaction with media that, well, didn't really give me uh, the best start. How was the kind of the response in like your family or kind of friends or, or around that conversation then? Is it something you remember sharing with someone that kind of no. watching? Oh, that? no, I would not have, I would not have um, uh, talked uh, with anyone, anyone um, about how I felt about this show. Um, or the coverage thereafter, the more detrimental part was really, you know, the um, media storm that erupted from Germany suddenly awaking to the fact that two of their most beloved TV personalities were in effect gay. Yeah. Uh, one had like a family um, um, sort of comedy sketch uh, show. Uh, he was wonderful. He ended up, this just, just a fun tidbit, he ended up being the uh, queerest of the queerest. And he did the his, the last job before he sadly passed away a few years ago. He was on the German version of um, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Oh, okay. And he would, he would always, you know, the thing, the the uh, presenter like Anton Deck in the UK, he would always be in, in very elaborate costumes, almost drag with lots of like tropical flowers and big hats. Mm -hmm. And he was, he, he passed away sadly, but he was very, very beloved in all his queerness. So yeah, I was going to ask, like, was it detrimental to them to come out in the nineties then? It was at the time. I mean, they were, they didn't come out. They were, they were outed by outed. someone else. So I, I'm pretty sure. Um, and that also came up in my, me reviewing, uh, the case, uh, for this interview, because it's so long ago that mm -hmm. both of them later stated, um, that their careers had not suffered in the long term, and that in a way, you know, all turned out for the best, mm -hmm. but obviously at the time it was a great shock and, uh, it led to great, uh, insecurities in their careers. It's not quite the spectacle anymore, like it used to be, which I think uh, was sort of my next experience when uh, queer characters started popping up yeah. on on television and then in, in fiction media open out and open uh, uh, queer people uh, it took a little while in the 90s for a lot of these american shows uh, to arrive but the early present representations on german television there's a, a show that just was canceled only a few years ago but ran for i think 50 that's uh your equivalent would be Coronation Street. Yeah. We had something like that. And one, and there was a, a gay character on that show pretty early on in the mid 90s, which was a step towards representation. But, you know, back then it was this sort of cringe spectacle kind of thing. We would always be some sort of clown. And not yeah. in a Bianca Del Rio way, more like, you know, in this in this particular instance, I don't want to shame the actor or no, no, the writers on the show or anything. It's just, you know, describing what it what it felt like at that time. 
um, it was just a very, it was a very stereotypical, a sort of uh, lanky, very effeminate hairdresser and all the women that were on the cast would go to the salon and gossip with a gay hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I feel that early on, a lot of what we saw was sort of double-edged because on the one hand, there was always a lot of love and acceptance there. So they, they had a group of friends and they were a part of a community and they were yeah. loved and, you know, that kind of thing. Those characters were not horrible, but they were also very one-dimensional always. So that sort of, I, I distinctly remember, I think a little later on thoughts like, okay, so this is, this is my option. This is just what my life is going to be like. This is what I can do. And it, it may turn out well, but yeah, it's, I think it, it, it's a lot of, I think the discussion that people maybe remember a little more is um, from the gay character on the early seasons of uh, Sex and the City, yeah. where we now sort of dis are discussing was Sex and the City really so re revolutionary for everyone like we think it was, or, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe there were a lot of things about it that you know flew under the radar and that the sort of very, I mean, there were literally two types of gay characters on that show. One was, I, I'm, I must admit, I don't remember his, the name of the I character. Um, it's like Carrie Bradshaw's uh, best friend. I can picture them because don't they, don't they get married in the second film? Yeah. Man marries um, the wedding planner, obviously yeah. a wedding planner. And they're both very, they're wonderful people, but they're, they're not uh, portraying right what makes our community. Um, and then the gay couple who are just your complete heteronormative mask, mask presenting uh, dudes um, mm -hmm. who are uh, trying to uh, talk the slutty character, slut rights, by the way, um, into having a, a man, man, woman, three, some. Yeah. So they're either hypersexualized mask dudes or they're queens, which, yeah, are is a very limited representation, I think. And then this needed a lot more variety and a lot more diversity. Um, and I would say that came later on. Yeah, and I, I, I think we'll talk about some kind of current references in a, in a moment. So we've spoken about Sex and the City and some kind of German TV there, but what was, would you say, the most significant kind of text for you maybe as a teen or maybe even now that you think that's what helped me understand my own queer identity? Literature-wise, there's a, a, a very significant uh, book that I think I read for the first time when I was 13 and it was in mm -hmm. school actually. Uh, it is by a, a German author from the very early 20th century uh, okay. by the name of Hermann Hesse. The book uh, is, well, their names. So I'm guessing the English title would be the same, Nazis und Goldmund, Nazis und Gold, Golden Mouth, essentially, um, uh, which is a, a story of two very, very young boys that meet uh, in, I think it must be the late Renaissance. So the story is, set way back yeah two young boys that meet at a monastery school one of them becomes a monk the other one leaves the convent to go become a carpenter or something um and they have this intense uh, connection and there's a, mm -hmm. a very a very innocent uh, uh kiss which is a very a famous scene in german literature as it is and there's it's just anyone everyone should read that it's a beautiful beautiful book and it is 
I would characterize it as queer romantic without yeah. being sexual. Well, there is there are a lot of intense sex scenes because one goes away and has sex with a lot of women um, to numb the pain and the loneliness yeah. and everything. Um, I think he even becomes a father at one point. But in the end, um, no spoilers, but, you know, their story <laughs> continues and it is very much about their emotional connection, which was for me the first and only time that I had any sort of example of homosexuality beyond mm -hmm. the sex part, you know? Yeah. What else is there besides the obviously differing sexual practices? Although not so different, I'm told, but you know, who knows? Yeah, and I, I think that's, uh, that's a point, and I think that that's a struggle for non, for, for cisgender people, for um, hetero people, that they can't see beyond kind of the sexual act. And that is kind of what we're reduced down to. And especially in our, our country, any kind of discussion around queerness is usually 18 plus. And that's something that we're kind of trying to challenge now and talking about different families, queer culture. No one in my family ever had any issue with diversity, you know, but that's just one, that's just one thing. That's just your home. There need to yeah. be, you know, you need to know as well that there's other safe spaces outside outside your own family. And I think the discussion of uh, safe spaces is uh, something that I've been looking forward to in particular. Yeah. Because in the absence of direct representation, actual queer people being queer and just existing in their own stories. Yeah. What I remember, things that I, in the media, was drawn to and that I enjoyed very much and that I had a connection to were things that I felt were safe spaces in a quite literal sense. Something that I would be very amiss to not mention uh, yeah. is Star, Star Trek. Yeah. Was very important to me a very, very long time before there was actual representation. And the whole Star Trek thing is something I could do hours of podcasts <laughs> on alone. We need to I do actually, like, yeah, a revisit. There is, and this, there's a, a little shout out here to my uh, peeps at Let's Watch Star Trek. I have a wonderful uh, group of uh, very di diverse and queer and feminist, uh, uh, lovely weirdos mm -hmm. that I watch Star Trek with on a regular basis. And then we have a Zoom call and discuss that's awesome. Um, and that's wonderful. And something that I always uh, mention uh, is how is specifically Star Trek Voyager. I don't know how familiar you are, Captain Janeway. And that was yeah. the ship that was the ship that was sort of catapulted out of the regular uh, area of influence that Star Trek is in. And they were on their own and they were in a distant okay. part of the galaxy. And this had Kate Mulgrew as uh, Captain Janeway on the bridge. Yeah. She was the captain Kate. of this ship. Kate from Orange is the New Black. Kate, yeah. You younger Kate. folks would know her from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> she uh, is Orange red. Red in Orange yes, is the New red, Black. Red, red, yeah. yes. She, yeah. I, I think she plays a Russian character or yeah. something. Yes. Uh, no, she was, um, she was the captain of the uh, Star Trek Voyager. And it was not that there was actual queerness on this ship. Um, I mean, there were... Uh, as I've been informed later, I did not pick up on that when I originally watched it. They were sort of um, lesbians were going wild for HJ okay. Way and Seven of Nine uh, Connection, which is another character on the show who's um, who was brought on essentially uh, to be the tits of the show. She oh. was always she was in a, uh, she was sewn into a suit so tight that 
they had to sew her out of it when she had to go to the bathroom. Anyway, sidetracked. So this, <laughs> so there was this, they had this little micro universe in this ship and it just felt like such a family of very mm. diverse people, not in queerness, you know, there's always this queerness can also just be otherness. And in absence of queerness, you look for representation in otherness and literally everyone on this ship is very different. There's yeah. people who are of different alien species. Um, half of the ship is from uh, the Peaceful Federation. The other half is actually from a rogue group of, well, essentially terrorists, but, okay. but they were thrown together by fate to become one crew. Yeah, And this whole place just, that was, if I only had to name one or two things that were important to me, this was one of them, that I just felt there are spaces out there where everyone, no matter um, who they are or what they are or how they are different, that's the thing. We always you know, often look for representation for something that is exactly like us which is great and people need that. But there's a point where there's a certain degree of diversity that you can portray that allows you to just project whatever onto it. And it's beautiful. It's like a canvas. Anyone can find themselves in that. And I did that very much on Star Trek, specifically on uh, Voyager. And that was important to me without even being reported. Oh, yeah. But that was also early. We're talking like still like mid, mid 90s here before no, yeah you know a boom came but yeah in terms of otherness this is something that i'm trying to kind of work with right now because i think in in absence of that those kind of direct representations i know a lot of uh gay men so uh such as myself identified with pop stars of the time so I, in the 90s it was all about kind of uh well i say early 2000s for me i was born in 95 it was all about britney for me uh, so Britney was kind of the the hook. And I remember distinctly, distinctively my dad putting loads of Britney songs onto a CD and like me listening to them. And now I look back and I'm like, how did you not know I was gay? So I just think that's re really interesting. And I remember having like this mixtape of Britney specifically um, overprotected. I remember that video very distinctly. So yeah, that's interesting. But what I'm trying to work on at the moment is this idea and whether this will stay in the podcast or not, because I don't know what this idea is going to be, is the idea of robots and sci-fi and their representation of otherness. Oh, yes. Oh, oh you, you, you're speaking to the right person. You, you, we should have invited my whole Star Trek gang to this. Yes, actually, uh, the uh, character that I mentioned uh, earlier, Seven of Nine, who was with Kate Mulgrew, who you know as Red, yeah. uh, on, on Voyager, she's not exactly a robot, but her backstory is that she, uh, as a child, was taken... Mm -hmm. uh, by um, a species of very technologically advanced uh, aliens yeah. who implant technology into their victims um, and make them part of a hive mind. So they are, oh, okay. other, they are other than human and they essentially have no human um, emotions. They do not know love or mercy or hunger, even none of those. They're essentially machines and she gets rescued by the crew of the star, uh, starship and they bring her back into um, her humanity uh, and it, apparently there was a, a lesbian erotic uh, component which I hope there was and I just didn't see it <laughs> um, I, I just I admittedly did not see it at the time because to me that was exactly that a reflection of you know someone uh, who was other 
yeah. um, being a good way to project. And there's another character on uh, Star Trek The Next Generation who I think is actually in a lot of ways uh, discussed in exactly that way. Um, he is an android hmm. and his storyline over his whole existence over many seasons is sort of how human is he? Um, what makes him human? Um, or is he like a human? There's a trial whether he is human or not, which I think is very timely. Yeah, I think it's these exact things that you're talking about that is kind of referenced. So I've written an entire list of different chapter titles of kind of the idea of gendered robots, the idea of sex robots, the idea of humanity, the idea of robots being against dominant ideology in terms of heteronormativity. Um, the idea that they are representative of anxiety, of fear, of difference. So we get that a lot in kind of sci-fi history. Curiosity and inquisitivity. Uh, the idea of a camp robot, uh, we get quite a lot in sci-fi cinema. C-3PO being kind of the distinctive camp. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who doesn't last? I mean, honestly, C-3PO, I felt was gay. Yeah. Way, way before I would have thought about talking to anyone about my identity yeah he was gay and i was scared for her girl <laughs> I, I was just like because those were the times when someone who would honestly want to give you well-meaning advice on you know how to manage your life and your otherness was you know try and turn it down you know don't be don't be a target other people will hurt you try and so I was that in that way, I was very worried for I thought they were coming for her wig. <laughs> so it, like one, one, one of the things I've written is assimilation. So the idea that robots want to assimilate into humanity or is that what they want to do? And I think that, that really does translate to queer, queerness. And I think in terms of heteronormativity and the idea of gay marriage, and I'm very much for gay marriage, but it's kind of traditionally based in... Uh, quite problematic things. Yes, very much. It is an it is an uh, antiquated uh, ritual rooted in the transferal of possession of a woman from father to a husband, yeah. which I personally find quite hideous. But yeah, I I was made aware that many people um, have very strong opinions about wedding and beautiful dresses, and you know, to each their own. Um, but I would personally agree that this is that this is an uh, assimilation, and assimilation in its core is the opposite of um, integration. Assimilation yeah. meaning becoming the other. Integration meaning remaining the you, other, yeah. but but being treated the same. Yeah, no, that's, a, that, okay. I love that. I'm going to write that down because uh, that's really important uh, to me. The Borg, this, this species that assimilates people, their tagline is literally, you will be assimilated. <laughs> Resistance is futile. What what in Star Trek? Yes. Oh. The Borg. They're in almost every in every there right now they're on Picard, which uh, is being produced oh, yeah. right now. They were uh on on Star Trek the Next Generation way back in the eighties, the Borg. They've been around forever and they assimilate okay. people and make them uniform. So when when I eventually get to do season three of this podcast, I believe we need to do a Star Trek deep deep dive. Um, yes, and I will and be happy to recommend <laughs> a lot of people who are even uh, better suited to speaking on exactly this topic uh, than me. And if you are listening now, I think some of you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I, I think it would be an interesting thing for me who has only ever seen the J.J. Abrams films. Okay, that look is not a good one. <laughs> we don't talk about those. I quite liked Star Trek Into Darkness. I I 
should maybe I shouldn't, but I must admit that I have never watched the Kelvin okay. timeline. It's what we refer to. The what timeline? The Kelvin timeline. Uh, it just refers to a time split that occurs that justifies how there are two so very uh, okay. different timeline with the same set of characters. Because okay. uh, the uh, I believe the Kelvin timeline also tells the story of the Enterprise. So with Captain Kirk, uh, mm. Spock, Uhura, all those people um, whose adventures we already knew. So there's a split. So and, it's like, uh, a, okay. Yeah. No, like I, the, the, the fallen timeline in Zelda. I love all this, and I think that fa fan culture is such something that needs to be explored, spoken about in terms of queerness, especially with like characters that weren't written as queer. I think that that's really interesting, and even like shows like Adventure Time and Gravity Falls. I think Disney's Gravity Falls. They definitely, there's definitely fan cultures there. Hi everyone, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsors this season at Ethos Made. Ethos Made specialise in making eco-friendly, sustainable and non-toxic coconut wax candles on the northern coast of Cornwall. Recently they have released a prideful collection with three pride flag inspired candles that smell and look amazing. And even cooler is the fact that a portion of the proceeds goes to specific LGBTQIA charities. There's a traditional pride flag candle with proceeds going to the Say It Loud Club, whose work helps LGBTQIA refugees seek asylum in the UK from countries where you can be persecuted for being a member of the community. There's the trans flag candle, which supports Gendered Intelligence, a trans-led and trans-involving charity that works to increase understandings of gender diversity and improve the lives of trans people. Their vision is a world where diverse gender expressions are visible and valued, and where trans, non-binary, gender diverse and gender questioning people live healthy, safe and fulfilled lives. There's also the Lesbian Flag Candle, which supports the Kaleidoscope Trust, who work to fund, fight for and empower those upholding the human rights of LGBT people by working with governments, change makers, and civil society organizations to effect meaningful and lasting change in the lives of LGBTQIA people everywhere. Each candle is a wonderful refreshing scent called Pomelo and Pink Fizz. They provide extensive burn times. They last around 50 to 55 hours each. The scent is a nice, sweet fragrance that mixes sparkling champagne with sweet grapefruit, rhubarb, and juicy watermelon. You can find them at ethosmade.co.uk. That is E-T-H-O-S-M-A-D-E.co.uk. Or at their Instagram, at ethosmade. So that's at E-T-H-O-S underscore M-A-D-E. And remember to quote QR at the checkout to get 10% off your order. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our sponsors. Now let's get back to it. I've been trying to avoid Disney because I know you're kind of into that shit, but... <laughs> I don't know. I have I have strong feelings about Disney. I do too. And yeah, it's I, I definitely feel like my relationship with Disney, and if anyone hasn't followed me on Instagram, please feel free to follow me and see my rants about Disney quite a fair bit. But I love Disney for a couple of reasons, given the fact that I had really good childhood memories there and kind of the films and things like that. However, just because I love it doesn't mean I'm not going to criticise it to shit. And that's really important to me. Super problematic gender, super problematic in terms of uh, sexuality. How many people work for Disney who belong to the queer community and they can't represent them to shit? Yeah. My, my main issue with Disney specifically is that this very... I personally feel very, very harmful portrayal of gender and gender expectations is just, you know, it's just, they're just yeah. sneaking it into your cereal. Yeah. It's something that it's, oh, it's Disney. 
you know yeah. disney can't be bad oh you know even like i i i know that um, my point there is very strong and that uh, i've rarely met anyone who disagrees with me to the full extent but i i prefer i have a a, a wonderful two-year-old niece um that i love very much yeah uh, i would prefer she not watch disney princess movies and be exposed to yes you know wait for a man put on a dress i mean put on the dress definitely she has very cute dresses yeah. <laughs> but you know so i if not even with context i just i think there's you know watch pippi fucking long stocking that's an independent <laughs> woman who don't need no man and um, yeah i think that's very true yeah i mean we haven't even talked about the queer coded villains not that i don't <laughs> love ursula the only sure. disney character that i kind of get is ursula but you know um as i found out later um that's basically based on divine so you know there you go ursula is incredible and to be fair i'm not going to ever be on on team disney uh, ever uh, again i did i couldn't say that i did not enjoy the movies as a kid um it was uh, an annual event um mm. I remember I remember definitely as far back as The Little Mermaid, which you would probably know better, would have been 86 80, or 80, 89. 89 even. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Would, that would that would make sense. So remember I don't maybe that wasn't even the case in other countries, but in Germany, usually um, a new Disney animated movie would come out right before the holidays. Yeah. So this was you would you would get a a ticket for the movie like right up before Christmas, maybe on St. Nicholas Day. On, mm. which is December 6th here. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just around Christmas, you would go to see the new Disney movie and everyone would talk about it. Over, obviously, everyone had to see it. There was no YouTube or anything to get information about it. You had to go to, to the cinema and there was popcorn. And usually, which was also a very rare treat uh, back then in Germany, um, we would go to the only or one of two McDonald's in town. Okay. And there was the Happy Meal with the toy that goes with mm. the movie. So that was a thing. That was totally a thing. And, you know, there's uh, sometimes the things that once were close to us when they then uh, end up disappointing, which brings me to Harry Potter. They, they, yeah. tend, they tend to sting um, a lot more. And yes, Harry Potter was something amazing to grow up with um, as a queer person, which is why it is such a terrible disappointment and 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 stain on on a lot of my teenage years i was one of those people who lined up at the bookstore at midnight yeah for that shit and now that this horrible person whose name i do not want to mention mm. she who must not be named it's just gone so far off the rails that it's I cannot death of the author her. Yeah. To a zero extent. I will not, I will not, I watch a lot of YouTube and I will not watch anything even related to Harry Potter by an independent creator because I feel that's all feeding back to that. And I just need that all to go away and not be this harmful cloud on the existence of so many innocent trans people on, in, on the literal entire planet. I just, I if I had one wish from the genie, I it would be to make her go away and never return. Yeah, it's I honestly don't I honestly don't think it's good even to go into it. We all know, you know, what Harry Potter yeah. did to um, generations of children and what it's doing now. So I'd much prefer 
anything really will and grace let's let's go will and grace <laughs> every anything's better okay uh yeah no no i think it's yeah it's worth mentioning kind of yeah well we, we won't we'll mention it by not mentioning it and just say yeah that's that's garbage that's rubbish okay will and grace where did that come from so i said like do you feel do you feel lgbtqa representations in the media helped you in your personal journey now i know that we said this at the start and you said like I don't know, media's always been there, but like, is there any character that kind of helped you understand you? The the complete understanding of the full extent of my person I had to do by myself. Yeah. But but um, I'm not waiting to see my twin anywhere either. I, yeah. I think I've, I am at a point where I have understood and internalized that there is so much out there that one thing more or less isn't going to make a difference and it's all good in a way. Um, but I would mention Will and Grace at this point because Will Truman on that show, that was the first gay person that I saw on a television show that gave me a different option other than being a femme clown. Yeah. Um, there was a gay person with a university degree yeah. and, with a, and with a really nice apartment <laughs> and very good suits. Yeah. You know, and I am in no way desiring uh, to be a lawyer or to work with the law or to live in New York City or to just wear those suits and just sort of be, I'm not American, so I shouldn't be throwing around the term wasp, but I know what it means. And they're sort of playing off of that in the show. So it's all good. Yeah, but I, that was a show that I watched religiously and that I later in somewhere in China bought a set of bootlegged uh, DVDs. Uh, before there was Netflix. So by the time I was graduating university around 2005, six, seven, yeah. that time, I had all seasons of Will and Grace on these pirated DVDs and I watched them literally all the time. I could quote from that show. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's hilarious. I think it's good television. And what I think was it for me was that for the first time when I watched that show, felt that that was something that was made by queer people for queer people, yes. which is very important, which is very important that there are stories that are told by us for us. And, you know, the cishet folk, if they want to watch, that's fine, but it's not for them. It's yeah. not for them and it's not about them. I mean, Will and Grace is very much about Grace. That's sort of the point that she takes up a lot of room, but she's an ally so you've just mentioned about queer creators making queer work and and i think that's really pertinent to me and what do you think we get what do you get from that experience how do you know that there is that authenticity is it something that you just know because you you've read behind the scenes and you know that it's from a gay creator or do you is it something you can just recognize uh no i would it's not something, I wouldn't say I, I researched it. I mean, obviously Will and Grace was made by queer creators. So we know that. And um, I don't, I'm not sure if I knew that back then, but yeah. um, that's not a secret. I think what makes the difference here is, does it feel like I am being shown a reality from my world or is, is this a spectacle for others? to watch do i feel like this is 
it's just a strong feeling. Is this for me? I think a mm. very good example, um, and this could turn into another rant, um, <laughs> is the fate of Drag Race Germany, which does not exist. And um, I have no uh, internal facts. There's just a lot of rumors, and I used to work in the media. So yeah. from what I I've heard, what ha happened is that a German, the German TV production company that uh, does all the shows with all the shows with Heidi Klum, like Germany's mm -hmm. Next Top Model and everything, bought allegedly somehow secured the rights to Drag Race Germany and shelved it so they could make their own show. And while you know Drag Race has its problems, it is also yeah. very clearly made by queer people for queer people. Yeah. Straight people watch that; they don't know what's going on. <laughs> We can't explain that to them. That's clearly. That is queer. There's no, you know, there's no concessions yeah. made for, you know, someone might be heterosexual watching this. No, that's your problem, girl. Get with the program. And then because in Germany that was shelved allegedly so they could make their own show involving Heidi Klum, which the Drag Race franchise would not allow. Okay. Uh, Heidi Klum could not be in that show. And if you want to make Germans watch television, you put Heidi Klum on. Right. Okay. So they were trying to cater to um, like a wider audience. And um I want to mention specifically that this, I have no qualms with the uh, wonderful, talented, and some of them from Berlin drag queens that appeared on the show that Germany ended up getting, which I think yeah. was just called Queen of Drag. Right. It's like, okay, knock off. Yeah. Um, and it was Heidi Klum, Conchita Wurst, mm. and Bill Kaulitz from Tokyo Hotel, who, yeah. uh, you know, those are queer creators. Heidi Klum is not a queer creator, even though I do not want to strip her of her allyship or anything. She's not. So they made this show with Heidi Klum judging drag queens. And, you know, the official, because obviously the queer community was like, why? Yeah. Why? That's why Heidi Klum? We love her, but why? And then the official version, and then Heidi Klum um, was a little miffed that people would criticize her. And she um, issued a statement. We're like, wow, I think um, we are about inclusion and tolerance. And now, you know, I don't get tolerated as a judge on this show. Um, and it's not me judging queer people. There's a panel and we're all equal. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's Heidi Klum nothing's created equal when you're in a room with Heidi Klum. So sure, we had a very, we had a terrible show here. And this yeah. show felt like it was meant for straight people, getting back to my original point, for straight people to watch as a spectacle and as yeah. a circus. I'm not saying it's not done any good. It has brought German drag queens who are very talented and gorgeous and wonderful into mainstream programming on a primetime well, not a primetime show, but on a prime primetime broadcasting slot uh, mm. on a major station. But it it was it felt very sour, and that is the main difference. It, is it something that is made by queer people for queer people with the intention of having that be about us, or is it, you know, essentially queer people? put in a zoo with a sign do not feed the drag queen okay let's well let's let's think the the past is bad for a second and i know that you've spoken about the the chat show as a kid but what about kind of other problematic queer representations is there any that kind of come to mind when you think about i hesitate to call any representation really bad because representation is representation. It's, re it's still yeah. better than none. Yeah. I, I would reiterate that I was personally a little, or that I think I was formed a lot by those one-dimensional queer characters, the, the, the early ones uh, that mm. started coming. And there was a, lar a long 
part of my life when I had grown accustomed to and made my peace with that that was just going to be my place in this world to be yeah. just sort of you know that's that's why you know they they say how trauma makes you funny or something like that well yes most funny people are intensely traumatized and that's because humor is the only thing that can cure certain things and yeah. you just know you know that it, it'll get people on your side yeah. so you know be i don't know i mean i was never going to be mask but i'm also not a woman i'm just you know i had resigned to oh well that's just what what it's going to be like and make the best of it to just being the fun and quirky one not the academic i do have a degree i speak several languages but that was never that was never part of the representation it would yeah. never be not even like a loving family member very often it was just you know it was this there was this concept of the i think they called it ur urban substitute family once in Sex and the City. And I loved the concept of this chosen family. It is something yeah. that's very often, you know, that's something that RuPaul reiterates uh, very often. It was something that shows like queer as folk, which for me was accessible at a point when a lot of the formation was already done. Not that yeah. I didn't love it, but it was not as important to me yeah. as others. Those shows were all about us having to have a chosen family. You know, none of these... And a lot of that is the reality that is the reality for many, many people um, that live in chosen families and that are very happy. And I'm glad that they have them. There was just rarely someone who was just, you know, like me, who was not ostracized from their family. I was in my family and I was loved. That yeah. was also something that I didn't see much of. Yes. And I, that's a that's a luxury problem to have. Yeah. yeah. My my lack of representation is that I am loved. <laughs> it's just it just. Yeah, but. There was just a, um, this picture painted of queer people always being tragic and laden with problem. And there was very little queer joy. Mm. There was very you, little joy. Can you think of any specific examples? Of Yes. The, the whole show Queer as Folk is about why it is so, why it's so haunting to be gay. Yeah. All literally every problem that any queer person could possibly imagine is in this show from yeah. gay bashing to being being thrown out of the house as a teenager all kinds of uh, there's drug use in in clubs people almost dying from overdoses there's yeah. all the all the horrible sides of uh, hookup culture very few of the great ones which are many you know it's always just like we're gay and our life is so hard, see us overcoming this. but And that makes people believe that our lives would have to be hard. And that makes it very hard to live a life that is not hard and full of joy. And um, I hope that those are the stories that we will see more of from here on on, more joy. joy more yeah. people just being happy and the way that they present their gender or their sexuality not being the root of all of their problems in their life. But I want to know about, like, obviously, I, I don't want to pry, but how were your family with your kind of coming out, your queer identity? And do you think that was from media? Like, where did that kind of understanding of you come from? No, I do not think I do not think it came from media as, as good as an answer uh, as that would make. There's an anecdote that my mother uh, keeps uh, telling us and that yeah. I love to repeat is that it would have been somewhere in the second half of the 1960s. 
um, that when my mother and my biological father were uh, married, um, yeah. they would go to a underground gay bar in, in even um, in, uh, in the small town where we lived. Well, smallish town. And that my mother, I remember this story from, I don't know how small I was, how much my mother enjoyed watching two men dance and that they okay. would they had just such an incredible dance together. So my mother was an ally in the 1960s. Um, not a hippie, mind you. Yeah. <laughs> a very uh, uh, working class mother, um, yeah. but with no issues towards uh, diversity. I mean, now she's in her 70s and it is, has sometimes gotten a little difficult to explain new developments for her, but she's very, still very open to like listening to why it may be important to people to be referred to by different pronouns or, yeah. so my mother has a very, to this day, and that's just to reflect um, what my upbringing was like in that that's case. Incredible. My mother is, is perfectly pro-trans, right? I, she has no issues with uh, people um, getting the gender that they are affirmed by surgery yeah. even and then accepting them as the gender that they actually are so that's the uh, kind of that's my my personal background the media didn't have to change that that's good. but we still that does not mean that we didn't go through things on our own and that representation yeah. to us did not matter so no i did not have to fear coming out i never did come out i never sat down with anyone yeah. i did sit down with someone and told them that i was gay i th think when i was 18 and the reaction wasn't great but i had enough background to realize that maybe then that was not my best friend or a friend at all so no that was not that was not the reality that i lived in from my family but my family could show me and demonstrate to me and let me know that I would be accepted no matter what. What they could not do was help me on my way to become who I am because they had no understanding of that. And yes, it does maybe these days, now that I am arriving at something that's different from what I would have said I am 20 years ago. Yeah. The media does help in a way. If you want another cute story, throw me a cute, cute story. Go for it. I do um, visit my mother fairly often. It's not too far, two hours on a train. And sometimes we would just sit, drink coffee, and watch things on TV or Netflix. And mm -hmm. my mother and I watched, I think, four seasons of Drag Race together. <laughs> uh, she's seventy-three. Yeah. Um, she, we watched seasons eight, nine, and ten. I think those were the only ones that were available uh, in German with a dub. Okay. My mother doesn't speak English, and yes, and that has led us to um, some discussions about you know what gender identity means. And she's very. Uh, I'm talking to her like that would not be expected only because she's older. Um, she was very engaged in the um, what people represented and why they would do that and was very interested in, in uh, hearing what I would have to say about yeah. it and you know why and she agrees with everything that you know none of those are bad things and you know clothes are clothes they have no gender. The, any yeah. clothes, any gender that a, that a piece of clothing piece has, of fabric. has been has been assigned by a person. It's a piece of fabric. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Now, my my journey with representation in the media was 
very much my own. And um, but I do hope that it will do something for the next generation. Um, I think I mentioned my lovely uh, two-year-old niece. I have um, two more nephews and another niece yeah. who are uh, between 11 and 18 and who have grown up with a queer and a homosexual uncle. And I hope that they are also witnessing that, that change, people, yeah, yeah that, that people like us are not just in their family, but we're actually everywhere. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's interesting because even though you, I mean, you have a very supportive family and your your mom sounds amazing, um, it's still a tool for discussion. Uh, and like you, you watched Drag Race and had a discussion, and that's really interesting to me because even even acceptance, we, I mean, it's a tool to have. Do you want me to point at that and be like, well, let's have a conversation about that rather than, so that's really exciting. I like that a lot. These, these conversations need to go on and need to happen and we all need to learn. I mean, we, we all learn new things all the time about gender and, yeah. you know, there's always someone, there's always going to be someone new who has yet another facet you know, we've gone from Drag Race is just such an easy reference because there's just so many seasons. Yeah. We've gone from transgendered people being later stating they were told by production not to yeah. appear with their actual gender on the show, but to appear on the show with their assigned gender. Yeah. Even though that was not how they felt, just so, you know, the transition would be different or, you know, not to confuse people to yeah. having... A, having multiple wonderful, amazing trans women uh, win the show. We had people like Gottmik, who I think broke many other um, glass ceilings. And yeah. so we need to continue having these uh, discussions. Maybe uh, I'm having them with my older mother because she's the only person who can stand to listen to me for longer periods. <laughs> Sometimes, as you have noted, I tend to talk a lot. I like it. Yeah, it's my mother's thing. fine with that. So maybe, oh no, my lights, I hope you're not making a video because my, my timer just went off on my grow lights. <laughs> your grow lights for your plants? Uh, yes, but decorative house plants, no weed. You can buy that on the street. You don't need to grow your own. So I'm a I'm a I'm a bona fide plant gay, and some of my grow lights just went out. So that's why the lights changed. We've not got grow lights, but I think it's something we're going to have to invest in at some point. We've got about fifty plants, as I'm sure you've seen. It's a bit intense. Oh, maybe but... you have natural light. I don't have a lot of natural light. Berlin is expensive. I have to yeah. live on the ground floor. So, a couple of last questions. I want to know about your your queer education at school, and if there was any. No, there was not, not really, not, okay. no, there was, I mean, there was definitely mention of it, but then again, I think the issues with school and education as it comes to sexuality and the role that that plays in society can be quite different from culture to culture. Yeah. So this whole, I mean, Obviously, every teenager is awkward in, in, in sex ed, but that's not really, sex ed isn't even really a thing here. Or okay. it didn't used to be. When I was at school, it was just one of the things, like sexual health would be one of the uh, things that you would go through in biology class at, I think, probably like eighth grade or something yeah. when you were 13, 14. So we were educated on sexually transmitted diseases. It was also a time when we would already be educated on HIV. 
That's good you had a like HIV education though. That's yes. So and you know, scientifically accurate, you know, at that time, obviously the yeah. science has changed over the almost 25 years uh, that I was at that stage. But it was it was maybe not what it could be. Mm. But I think sex ed in and of itself, you know, it was considered a, a part of uh, human biology. Uh, we talked about contraceptions. We talked about pregnancy, uh, how all of that worked. That was just part of biology class. But did you ever kind of come across like same sex relationships or same gender? Relate Definitely not relationships. Yeah. Definitely okay. not relationships. No, nothing like that. There was, It was more something that maybe I... It did not feel I needed so much at that time because like the book that I referenced earlier, mm. those kind of things could easily pop up in other fields of education. So we, yes, we did have, when we were 13, 14, we did read a book from a known homosexual author from, even though that's a long time ago, with a plot that is, um, we know autobiographical to a certain extent from literature research. So, you know. And how was that discussed? Did you talk about his homosexuality or? We did. I've, I mean, you know, we're talking like 99. You were uh, <laughs> expecting me to remember my German <laughs> literature classes from literally 1994 <laughs> or okay. five. Yeah. Um, yes, I do remember. I do remember um, analyzing as a class assignment or with a class how we would identify that this particular novel contains autobiographic traits that okay. relate back to the author, uh, Hermann Hesse. And this, uh, this scene that I mentioned that's um, very uh, famous in German literature is something that's been analyzed to death. And it is, mm. it is two boys kissing each other. There's no dancing around it. Hermann Hesse, the author, was known to be gay. So, you know, that was something that would have been considered um, a factually correct and to the topic analysis yeah. that clearly there's homoerotic content in the book. And we know from Hermann Hesse that he must have been, oh, we at least we concluded because everything else around the story was the same. So um, we know the author went to a certain monastery school at some place in Germany and the one in the book has almost the same name, the kind of uh, thing. Okay. So and then names are similar. So it's yeah. not it's not it's subtle. not very subtle. It's not no. it's not super subtle. Everyone knows that. Yeah. So no, but there was no real. There was no mention of homosexual relationships. It was even before there was any kind of law um, that would allow any sort of union. Those uh, the first law that Germany had was in two thousand and one, which mm -hmm. was a civil union, and I had graduated school by then. Okay. How do you feel? you learn the sexual stuff. So in terms of kind of sexual sexual relationships between... By doing. By doing, yeah. That's really... I mean, there was no... There was not really anyone that I could talk to or ask. I didn't have a lot of out queer people mm. um, in my life. There was just... I was obviously a theater kid. I was in the theater group in uh, school. And there was one other... There was actually one other... Uh, he, I think he was a year older than me who was uh, out. I wasn't officially out but there wasn't really anything to out i was not in a relationship yeah. not romantically or significantly sexual uh for that matter so there was not really anything to talk about not from my yeah. perspective i mean i was what i was and i was very clearly not heteronormative presenting mm -hmm. to varying degrees uh depending on what the fashion was at the point but it was not I was not part 
of a queer community until later, um, until I went to university, just because most of the people I knew then were people that I had grown up with. So, you know, I, I never had to seek out a new community yeah. because I had one and there was just not a lot of, there were two people that were close to me that later came out as queer in varying ways, uh, much later, or, or, you know, I learned um, of their identities much later. Mm. I couldn't say when they first came out. You know, there was not really anything like that. There was also no internet porn which I think is a blessing. Not that that's bad and, you know, power to uh, every porn creator out there. Yeah. Um, I hope you're all doing it on OnlyFans and get your coins yourself, honey. Yeah. Don't pay the producers. Go pay for your porn on OnlyFans, <laughs> which is probably even, I don't follow a lot of OnlyFans, I have to admit, but I would guess that it is probably a little more real than the 90s glossy porn. I cannot say that I've never seen anything, but it was not like a source of information that was available to me. Well, yeah, if we, if, yeah. If we think about the porn industry and now that we all, most of us have a camera in our phone and I mean, we all have access to this equipment, the porn industry has massively changed and it's accessible. We're getting kind of um, reality porn or kind of, is that what it's called? Reality porn? Is that, a, that the category? Reality porn, isn't that like uh, keeping up with the Kardashians? <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> that's reality TV show. Yeah, but it's like a guilty pleasure, like porn, and it's sort of dirty <laughs> because it's keeping up with the Kardashians, and because it's clearly obscene and vulgar. <laughs> well, I'm talking more about kind of sexual interactions. I think it's like I don't know what the category is called, but the, but the fact is that when we no longer have like DVDs or it, it's all the internet. Yes, and I was. I mean, we did have a VHS player, obviously, uh, at my house, but there was no, there wouldn't have been space or time to, I, I wouldn't have known how to acquire such a tape, Yeah. nor would I have had a, a time and the space yeah. to myself to play it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I vaguely remember, I don't even know if that was like 80s or 90s that for a while played girl was a thing so there were you know the sort of glossy and it's not dirty it's sexy and artsy yeah. so that's something that i remember it's like that there were magazines like playgirl that had sort of erotic male nudes yeah. uh, in them but that's not porn no i did not i i yeah i mean i want to say i am still learning i mean we we all are yes by no means is that uh, process ever over but there was very little media involved other than that i lost my virginity after watching evita with someone on the couch and then but we we were two proper madonnaites at that point so we we waited till the movie was over we watched the whole movie and then the deflowering happened so that's the extent to which uh, media was involved in my sexual um, education that's, but that's I, super queer <laughs> I wish, I wish Sex Education, this wonderful, wonderful show on Netflix yeah. with Gillian Anderson, who is basically God, mm. uh, that would have been around because that is, I think, that is the kind of talk I want to see. Just, yeah. you know, make it factual and accurate. And also what I love about this particular show, if we have one more space for another show to mention, is that it also talks about disinformation. 
that there is disinformation and that you should be careful uh, not to go by the misinformation, but to find a source for actual information. Yeah, no, I like that. And being aware that porn is porn and it isn't the reality. I I don't know. I, th- I think in terms of kind of the, the interactions I've maybe maybe had, maybe unpicking the things that we see in porn for what is real and what is the fantasy or those kind of elements. I feel like I'm rambling. No, no, it's, <laughs> no, no it, it makes sense. There is, yeah. I mean, you know, everything has no, very few things that are just black and white. And mm. I'm, I'm sure that a porn is um, very liberating to watch and to make, to consume uh, whatever um, for a lot of people. And maybe porn does have an element of representation you know um there is as far as i understand uh, a kinky porn of all kinds of uh flavors yeah and i'm sure there's enough people out there who have desires that a large part of society would somehow deem inappropriate or i mean you know with always uh obviously anything goes that is consensual between two adults yeah uh, but still there's enough out there that other people would find unseemly i'm like why are you obsessed with what i'm doing okay yeah. but you know and so if i guess if you find a lot of porn of people doing things that you think you want to do but that you know other people have made you feel ashamed about yeah. or told you that it's not okay or you know, you, without even telling you, somehow informed you that it would not be okay if you then, you know, just go on. I know Tumblr isn't around anymore. Do where where have we gone for back for porn? Is it Twitter again? I believe Twitter is the the chosen social media. Well, we yeah. sure know Instagram doesn't like nudity. Um, <laughs> so, and I, I'm I'm sure. I mean, what I have uh, seen not on not in porn in and of itself, but I have seen a piece on. Um, pornography and sexuality um, as it pertains to people with varying disabilities, um, be it cerebral palsy, um, amputations, prosthetics, uh, that kind of thing, Um, people with dwarfism, that those uh, people now make their own porn and find it liberating and that I love. Yeah. That's That's great. great. They should absolutely keep doing that and let everyone watch that dwarf porn, honey, and make them (laughs) pay for it. (laughs) That is great. It's just not, it wasn't for me. And maybe it is not the greatest tool for someone to start out with their sexual life to be hit with, especially these days, such a variety. And, you know, it can be very hard to parse, which is what is real and Mm -hmm. what is the fantasy and what would I even want to try? Um, those things, as old-fashioned as that is, um, that is, I think, best still explored with someone that you trust. Yeah, ideally, no, I, I would and agree. then you know you can get your you can get further ideas from porn or find representation of yourself or other people that you want to see in it. So that's perfectly, perfectly uh, valid. But I cannot say that that has made a significant impact on my sex life other than after a certain point of the porn being all over the internet definitely reminding me um that there is a lot of variety of all kinds of people and of things that people enjoy to do 
Yeah. Um, and that there that there's space for all of those. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, Daniel, last question. What do you want from representation going forward? What what's your kind of ideal next steps? I want joyful representation. I want representation, especially, I think I'm past it now, but I want representation for the next generation that is a lighthouse of joy mm. and one that leads them to a life of joy and a life of being happy and proud with who they are and realizing that because they are unique, they add something to our world that no one else can. Mm. That is the kind of representation that I would like to see and that I wish for people coming into this world now. And um, I mean, something that we haven't and maybe we shouldn't talk about a lot is also the intersectionality with racism because we are very white presenting yeah uh in this evening well it may be my ring light <laughs> and i picked the wrong color here but that is there's a, a great area of work uh there too about um representation with uh, all kinds of intersections uh to racism uh, to ageism as well and those are also things that need to be worked on. They're just not the things that I could uh, testify to a lot because I am not regularly a victim of. Yeah. So that is that is a discussion. That is a word for someone else to carry. But yes, that is very important. And that I think would probably be the next important step. The next yeah. thing, if I, if there's, yeah, if I, if there's something I want to see tonight, tomorrow at the latest, is to acknowledge more the problem of racism in our community. And to a certain extent, it is, it is an, a, a reflection of the racism and the bias in our community that we haven't even talked about it in almost two hours. Yeah, and I think that's the case is that I intersectionality is really a, a kind of an important one. And the idea that kind of gender sexuality all intersect with different things and it's the variety of human experience and i yeah that sort of thing i think is really necessary for any representation is not to just get uh kind of a, a white cisgender gay perspective to kind of or white non-binary etc but to vary that and think actually what about this story kind of let's unpick that um let's think about it through this lens and I, yeah i think that's really interesting and a, a really good point to end on uh thank you thank you so much uh it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for staying up late is that late for you that is it is going towards my bedtime yes but i've had yeah. a lovely i've had a lovely evening chatting with you thank you it means the absolute world yeah it's been an absolute pleasure thank you pleasure was on mine harry thank you very much okay. take care i'll see you soon Hi everyone, it's me again. I just wanted to say thank you to Daniel for taking part in the podcast and spending nearly three hours talking to me about queer media. We got on really well and it was, as I said, it was really hard to cut it down to the length of this episode. There were tons of interesting points that Daniel made when we spoke about assimilation versus integration, the porn industry and its effects, Will and Grace, Queer as Folk, Star Trek, German literature and more. 
the stuff Daniel said specifically about Star Trek is definitely something I want to explore further in the podcast, maybe in season three, specifically around the idea of the other and how queer people see themselves in representations of other regardless of intersectionality and direct representation. That's it for today's episode. If you could leave us a review and rate this episode, I'd be most grateful and I will see you soon on the next episode. Take care.